everyone. Hope that you are all well and that the Lord has just done incredible things in your hearts as I know he has done in mine. It's just been such a delight and privilege to be here this weekend and just to be receiving from all that the Lord has been saying and doing and uh, ministering. I was just spending some time this morning thanking the Lord for his incredible grace and goodness. You know, it's it's just impossible to come into his presence and to leave unchanged. It, it really is, you know. I love that word that Andrew brought, though, that the importance of positioning ourselves because, you know, God has so much more than he wants to do in us. And, and, and it's just about kind of putting ourselves, getting our hearts in a place of surrender and yieldedness and then allowing God to do abundantly, supernaturally, more than we could ever dream or imagine. That, that sense of, I've just kind of come through a little bit, but the sense that, the measure that God uses is a measure of fullness. And I hope that we are just taking that fullness and, and allowing God to work in our hearts. So what I want to speak on this morning, it's, um, it's, quite, a, it's quite a weighty topic. It's, we're going to be going covering a lot of material in a relatively short space of time. Um, so I'm going to be going through this fairly quickly. Um, there are, might be uh, some <laughs> slides behind me uh, just to kind of keep us on pace, as it were, um, so what I'm going to be speaking about this morning is cultivating a culture of church planting within a local church. Now, as I say that word church planting, I think I may have potentially lost a few of you in the room. And I, and I want you to stay with me because what I'm speaking about today is not church planting. I'm speaking about cultivating a culture of church planting within a local church. And so this is not a... This is not a this is, not a, this is not a message by any means for the, the three or four or five folks here who might be feeling a call to church planting. This is something for, for each and every one of us. And so I just want to start off by acknowledging the, the range of passions and the different convictions that many of us carry around the subject of church planting. Uh, there might be some in this room who hear the word church planting and they're like, yes. I love, a, I love a talk, I love a sermon, I love discussing church planting, a, a vision that is bigger than me. And, and you might be saying, tell me what to do. How can I, how can I step into this? And, and so for those of you who are responding that way in your hearts, I, I hope that today's message is going to stir that passion even more and give you some kind of next steps as to what you might possibly be able to do. Uh, there might be others in this room who love church planting, but you're not convinced it's for you. It's a little bit of a variation of that Isaiah 6 moment where Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, but your version is send them. You know, send someone else. I love church planting, Lord, but send the other folks, you know. And uh, I hope today that uh, I'm going to be able to, to, to minister and show you your, your part in this. You might not be in leadership, and, and you might be thinking, what could I possibly do? Or how could I possibly help? Uh, hopefully my sermon is going to be able to, to show you what your role could be. Or maybe you are in church leadership here. And, and you, you're thinking, you know, um, we love church planting, but we don't have enough. Insert any resource that you think is limiting you or preventing you from being involved in church planting. And uh, hopefully, again, today's message is going to, to encourage you that God is always calling us to cultivate this this, this passion and desire for planting churches. Or maybe others here are, are not convinced that church planting is something we should even be talking about. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, there's so many struggling churches around the UK. Why should we be thinking about planting others? Or, or maybe you think there, is, there, is a, there are more important things to talk about. There is, there is uh, uh, the kind of social issues that we need to be discussing or humanitarian issues in our nation that we need to be discussing. I remember so clearly in the first couple of months of us moving from South Africa to Chicago, we, we went out to dinner with the father of one of the women who had joined our church. He was a good friend. It's not on. There you go. that magnetic. So what I want to speak about today is cultivating... Deja vu. I think you probably heard you probably heard this before. Do I? I don't need to start again, do I? No. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, 
I remember, I remember in the first couple of months of, of us planting the church, we went out to dinner with, with the father of someone who had joined our church. She was a, a good friend. And this, this, this father was from Texas, from, a, from a, an established kind of evangelical church in Texas. And so he asked us, what are you doing in Chicago? And he, we said, we're here to plant a church. And he paused for a moment, and that just flummoxed him. He was like, wait a minute. Don't we send people to Africa? Like, what are you doing coming here to, to plant a church? And shockingly, I actually had that similar conversation a couple months ago at a wedding. 17 years after planting the church, this, this gentleman who's in ministry asked me the same question. Like, you know, wait a minute, wait. We send people to you. You don't come to us. And so I say all of that to say I acknowledge there's a range of responses in your heart to church planting. But I, as Andrew's word said, I want to I want to ask you to position yourself in a way to to hear what I believe the Lord wants to say to us today, so that not so that we can learn not how to plant churches, but how to cultivate this culture of church planting within our churches, and that calls for every one of us. And so what I want to do today is I'm just going to be asking and answering a range of questions. Why do we plant churches? When do we plant churches? Uh, sorry, why do we, uh, yeah, why do we plant churches? When do we plant churches? How do we cultivate this culture of church planting? And then some very practical kind of challenges for each and every one of you as we, as we go from this place. And I'm going to be teaching some theology real quick. And I'm also going to be sharing from some personal experiences. We've had... We've planted ourselves and we've had the privilege of planting six churches over, over the last kind of like 10 years or so. And hope some lessons that we've learned on, on how to do things and also what, what not to do. So let's get going. Let's jump in. When, uh, sorry, why do we plant churches? Why do we plant churches? And I want to start off by saying that we cannot be motivated by vision. Uh, we cannot be motivated by vision. As well-intentioned as vision must, uh, might be, we need to be motivated by revelation. Uh, someone once said, I don't know who it was, but vision is something people produce. Revelation is something that people receive. And the reason why we plant churches is that we plant churches in response to a revelation of Jesus. Specifically in two areas. Firstly, a revelation that Jesus is Lord. Psalm 103 says, He, Jesus, God, has established, is established uh, His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom extends over all. So we plant churches in response to a revelation of the Lordship of Jesus and a revelation that Jesus is Savior. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he, he gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have e e eternal life so i say this to say probably the most important thing that i'm going to say today and the reason why we plant churches and the reason why we want to cultivate a culture of church planting is in order to see the lost saved and the kingdom of god advanced if we are planting churches or or trying to cultivate this culture for any other reason other than wanting to see the lost saved and Jesus exalted as Lord and King over, over villages, cities, towns, and nations, if we're doing it for any other reason, friends, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And so if there's anything you take away today, let it be a heart for the lost and a desire for Jesus to break into their hearts and for his kingdom to advance. So we're going to jump into, for the next kind of 10, 15 minutes, jump into a little theology. And again, we're going to have to skim through it fairly quickly. But I want to give us three reasons why we plant churches. And the first reason is because we are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. We are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. I like to say it like this, to fulfill the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission... Go and make disciples of all nations by obeying the greatest command. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you notice in the greatest command there are three levels, three aspects to love? Love God, love your neighbor as you correctly love yourself. We've got to make sure we do all three. Loving God enables us to loving God enables us to love our neighbors. As we love ourselves. It's that last part that we often, we often forget. And that defines our mission. 
defines what we're called to do, but it also defines our motivation. Our motivation is love for God. Why do we plant churches? Love for God. As we love our neighbor from that place of correctly knowing how to love ourselves. And as we read through the New Testament, we, we can see this pattern, uh, especially through the Gospels and the book of Acts, that followers of Jesus were called to go. That's the assumption made in, in, um, in the Great Command, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. The language in the original Greek, that word go, it's a, the going is assumed. The going is actually not the command. The making disciples is the command. The going is assumed. It, it's not it, it's a silly example. You know, when you go to the store, will you buy milk? Not if you go to the store. The going to the store is assumed when you go buy milk. The going into nations is assumed when you go. You need to make disciples. That's the command that Jesus gives us. And, and in going, we are called to do what? To be witnesses to, to what Jesus has done, to who Jesus is. That's what happens in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you so that you can fall under his spirit and enjoy the presence of, of the Lord. Well, no, that's part of it, but you will receive power to do what? To be witnesses in the sphere of influence that you have and beyond that into the nations of the world. So it's, it's in going, we are witnesses, witnesses who make disciples, as we are commanded to in Matthew 28. And the way we make disciples is by teaching what Jesus has taught us by grabbing the word and making sure the word is in us so that we can teach others and by baptizing people yeah. in, the in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, we must be careful not to assume that baptizing is simply dunking somebody in water. Yeah. It's so much more than that. Yeah. It's being placed into, it's, it's, it's helping people be, be, be set in and placed into a community where there's submission and surrender to Jesus and accountability to one another. That's the extent to which Jesus is speaking about baptism. So much more than just dunking in water. And so in going and being witnesses and making disciples, lastly, the early church would do what? They would plant churches. You can't read the book of Acts without seeing churches being planted everywhere as the disciples fulfilled the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. On arriving there, the context is back to Antioch, the place that the disciples, uh, where Paul and Barnabas had gone. On arriving there, they, Paul and Barnabas, gathered the church together and reported all that the Lord had done through them. And all that the Lord had done was he had planted churches and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Listen to what Tim Keller says. What is needed above all else in every city, town, or village is the gospel of Jesus echoing from planted churches. I love that. I said this yesterday, but we need to rediscover the, the breathtaking privilege and the power of being part of a local church. Yeah. And through that local church, seeing the, the lost saved and the kingdom of God advanced. I, I um, you, some of you may have thought I overstated this yesterday, but I did not. BBC, CNN won't report it. Sunday mornings at 9 or 10 or 11, whenever you get together, that is the most significant thing happening on the planet. This is, it's not just a casual get-together, oh, let me go and do, a, do church. No, friends. It is the most significant thing happening on the planet. We need to rediscover the privilege of being part of a local church. And, and without getting political, let me just say, we need to be thankful that in the West, we can gather without the government coming down on us. We need to utilize the privilege that we have to give glory to Jesus unashamedly, to allow the Spirit of God to minister to us so that we can go. So why do we plant churches? Firstly, to make disciples. Secondly, we plant churches to multiply. 
to multiply. We're going to get through a little bit of theology for the next few minutes, so stay with me if you can. We're going to get practical in, in a, few, a few moments. We are called to be on mission, to, to live missionally. It's probably a phrase that you've heard. It's in vogue. Uh, it simply means to live as missionaries, as it were, uh, wherever we live and wherever we work and wherever we play and wherever we, we socialize. It, it, and it's an important truth that I think has been restored back into the church over the last 20 or 25 years or so. But there's a danger with that phrase of being on mission or being missional because sometimes we can think that mission is what we do for God. We, we think this is our kind of contribution to, to, to God. This is what we do for God. When in fact, God has always been on mission. And, and God has always been at work. And we mustn't think that the, the, you know, that the church has existed because of, that the church, because the church exists, mission exists. It's the other way around. Because mission exists, God has sent his church. And it's a very subtle difference. But it's a very significant difference because it prevents us, if we catch the heart that God has always been on missional, then the purpose of the church is not to be attractional, as it were, to say to the world, come to us and let us show you God. No, friends, we are called to go to the world and to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, are, we, are, we have been commissioned with a mandate to multiply. We have been commissioned with a mandate to multiply. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, increase, fill the earth, rule and subdue. God said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Jesus said in John 15, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. And friends, it's a best, I did a study a couple of years ago where I looked at the early church in the book of Acts and actually how very similar it is to the, um, to the church in China. And both the, the book of Acts and the church in China are, have, have seen, and the church in China is, is still seeing, this remarkable exponential growth and, and how sometimes we can compare that to the church in the West. Um, just out of interest, in AD 33, the, approximately 500 followers of Jesus. 70 years later, in AD 100, 25,000 followers of Jesus. And then in AD 300, 20 million followers of Jesus. And so in just a little over 300 years, from a handful to 20 million followers of Jesus. And this was at a time where churches didn't own buildings. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a building. We just bought one in Chicago. There's nothing wrong with owning buildings. This was before seminaries and, and Christian schools. Nothing wrong with that. This was before uh, professionally trained leaders, before ministries and programs and missional organizations. This was before social media. And sometimes we think social media is the key to attracting people to come. This was a time when it was illegal to become a Christian. And yet there was this exponential growth. That happened because the early church lived with this idea of sentness. This idea of they were called to go and to reproduce. I wrote this down. If we are called to reproduce after our own kind, then the true fruit of a leader is not a follower, but is another leader. And the true fruit of a small group is not a new Christian, but another small group. And the fruit, the true fruit of a church is not a new group, but another church. And whenever this principle is understood and applied, the results are dramatic. And so I say that to say, when we understand the reality of biblical multiplication, the answer to the question, is my church called to plant, is far less subjective than this idea of calling. Church planting is not something that we do. Church multiplication needs to be something that we are. It's within our DNA. God has placed within the DNA of every one of his followers this, this mandate to multiply. To multiply after our own kind. For leaders multiply. 
leaders. Small groups multiply small groups. Churches multiply other churches. Why church planting? To make disciples. Secondly, to multiply. And then thirdly, last little bit of the theology side. Thirdly, we, we plant churches to claim our inheritance. To take hold of the inheritance that God has given us. I, I love... I love a lot of the uh, the prophetic um, kind of insight and the prophetic uh, uh, pictures that we see in the Old Testament. And there's this beautiful picture in Exodus chapter 15 after the Israelites have crossed over uh, across the Red Sea and and God has delivered them from the hands of, of the Egyptians and and Moses is leading this this worship time with the nation of Israel in Exodus 15. And there's and oftentimes as what happens happens here in in our midst. You know, we, we worship God and we declare his praises and his honor. And, and God in his grace and goodness often receives that praise and then turns the praise back onto us and begins to minister to us prophetically. I mean, we all know what that's like on a, a, a meeting just like this. And Exodus 15, actually, that is what happens. That the Israelites are honoring and worshiping the Lord. And then there's this shift in Exodus 15 verse 17 where, where Moses begins to speak prophetically. And he says this, he says, you, speaking of God, you will bring them, you will bring the people of God in. He's speaking of the land. You will bring them into this land that God has promised and you will plant them on a mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands have established. And so there's actually three things that that Moses is speaking prophetically about us, the people of God, that God has given for our, as our inheritance that we need to take hold of. It's land, and I'll explain them all. It's land, it's the mountain of the Lord, and it's the sanctuary. So what is, what is Moses referring to? Well, the land, we, we've got to ask ourselves the question, has, has the Lord set aside physical land for us? Like he did for Israel back then. No, the, the land is symbolic of the, the inheritance. It's the, the, the land that God was giving his people was a stepping stone into the nations of the world. God's purposes are not limited. And I hope I don't offend anyone when I say this. But God's purposes are not limited to a physical location in the Middle East. God's purposes is to use that as a, as a stepping stone into the nations of the world. God himself says that in Numbers 14. The Lord says, as surely as I live, he doesn't say Canaan will be inhabited. He says, as surely as I live, the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth. And so, friends, we mustn't make the mistake of limiting our inheritance just to our neighborhoods or just to our city, as important as that is. But we must remember that God wants us to impact our neighborhoods, our city, and to be part of God's work going into the nations of the world. That's the land that the Lord wants us collectively to inhabit. The second thing is the mountain, the mountain of the Lord, the, the city of God or, or Zion. These are all Old Testament terms used for the gathering of God, the gathering place of God's people. In the presence of the Lord. The gathering place. And the New Testament language is what? Local church. That's the New Testament language of the people of God gathering to worship God is the local church. And so friends, our inheritance again is to go into the land, go into neighborhoods and nations to, to gather people at, to, to gather people to God at the mountain of the Lord in the local church where we live as a city on a hill, showing the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. That's what we're called to do. I hope I didn't lose you there. But, but we are called, as the people of God, to go into the land, to go into our neighborhoods, and to go into the nations, and to gather people on the mountain of the Lord, the gathering place in the presence of the Lord, to show the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. That's the mandate upon us. We get to show the world that we don't bow down to earthly rulers. We follow them 
obviously, we submit to their leadership. The Lord has placed them in power. But our ultimate king is Jesus. And we live to show the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. That's the mandate upon us. Land, mountain, and then lastly, the sanctuary, the temple of the Lord. And that simply means God's presence, God's nearness, God's closeness, the, the manifest presence and power of God as the people of God gather together. And so again, it's it's gathering together to in our neighborhoods and cities and into the nations, gathering people in local churches so that we can enjoy and, and acknowledge and, and worship the Lord who is near and who is close and who is empowering us and equipping us. Friends, the local church is meant to be a foretaste of heaven. When we get together to, like we did a few moments ago, when we get together to sing songs of praise to the Lord. And, and, and then I loved how Malcolm just allowed us and encouraged us just to, just to express our own new songs and, and songs that bubbled up within our hearts because we knew that God was present. And then how we went back and we had some prophetic words and some prayer. Friends, that's a foretaste of heaven. That's a little taste of what we're going to be doing in eternity for all eternity. And that's what the local church is called to do, to go into neighborhoods, nations, gathering people together in local churches. And we enjoy the goodness and the presence of the Lord. Some of you might uh, have, have asked us kind of this weekend, why did we move from Mpangeni, which is a, a rural town in South Africa, on the east coast of South Africa, an industrial uh, it's the armpit of South Africa to some degree. It really is. It, it, it's not the most glamorous of places to downtown Chicago. And quite simply, friends, we, we, we went because the Lord had placed the nations on our hearts. And he wanted to establish a lampstand called Anthem Church in downtown Chicago. And God called us to go. We went purely because of the call of God. For no other reason. And I know there are others who have a very similar testimony. We were talk I was talking to Andrew yesterday. Same thing. Like, why here, Lord? Because the Lord called. If you are wanting to plant a church, and there might be some here. If you are wanting to plant a church, the first, second, and third most important thing about church planting is responding to the call of God. That's right. Is responding to the call of God. Tim Keller again. Listen to this. The vigorous... Continual planting of new churches is the single most crucial strategy for the advancing of God's kingdom, the, numer the numerical growth of the body of Christ, and the renewal and revival of ex existing churches in any city and nation. Nothing else, he says. Not evangelistic crusades, church conferences, revival events, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing mega churches, or church revival initiatives will have the constant kingdom advancing impact of dynamic extensive church planting why do we plant churches to make disciples to multiply and to claim our inheritance all right let's move on we're not going to take as much time with the others don't worry when do we not plant churches is the question i want to answer next when do we not plant churches and just for a moment i want to just address leaders of of churches leaders of, of church teams here this morning. And I want to just say a couple of questions and a few little challenges as we go through. Firstly, when we do not only plant churches when we have a church of a certain size. We do not only plant churches when we have a church of a certain size. For those who lead churches, how often have you asked yourself, how often are you asked the question, how big is your church? I remember when we first arrived in Chicago and our church was five and uh, and I started meeting with pastors and within the first two or three minutes, the question would come up, you know, where did you get your seminary degree and how big is your church? And I don't have a seminary degree and our church was five people strong at the time. And very quickly, they were like, oh, my goodness, I forgot. I've got that thing that I need to get to and relationships would just fall to pieces. I don't know if it's the case here, but in America, church size pretty much defines everything. It defines who you are. If you lead a church, how often do you find yourself justifying smaller attendance on a Sunday? 
to a visitor. Someone visits the church and I'm like, oh, it's so great to have you. You know, it's summer. And for some reason, I, you know, we just can't gauge like when our church is, is full or when it's empty. You know, I do that all the time. I'm embarrassed to say. Do you spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking how you can grow your church? Do you spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking or even worrying how you could grow your church? And I say all this to say, friends, I'm in it with you. But church size is a very lazy metric for church success. It's a lazy metric for church success. And, and can I say, what even is church success? I mean, let's just kind of get that out there. What even is the, is the magic number? And, and so if, if, we, if we define church success by numbers, even if we do it subconsciously, why would we plant churches if we're going to diminish the size of our church when we send a group of people out? And so having this lazy metric of church size is fighting against this culture of, of church planting. So my challenge to you is this. Take some time to study the scriptures and look at how the Bible defines church, quote unquote, success. I did a, a quick study and here's a summary of the seven churches in the book of Revelation and uh, the church in Corinth and Thessalonica. Here are some metrics that the Bible uses for church success. I'm just going to run through them real quick. Love, faith, hope, expectation, humility, sincerity, wholeheartedness, grace, truth, Holiness, work, labor, service, worship, discipleship, repentance, knowledge, progress, witness, mission, God's wisdom, spirit's power, unity, order, generosity, willingness to suffer, perseverance, endurance, and an example. You see what's not in there? Size. Size is not in there. Friends, we cannot be lazy and define our church's success by how big it is, because that will directly uh, 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 impose against a culture of church planting. Secondly, we do not plant churches only when we have enough money. Again, when is enough enough? Do you have, do you currently have enough money to fulfill the dreams God has put in your heart? No. no. If you do, your dreams are too small. But you lead trusting that God will make up the difference because God's called you. And the same is true for church planting. We step into this call to church plant, knowing that God, that knowing that our finances are not strong enough, but trusting that God will provide as we are obeying him. And so my challenge to you is as leaders of churches, we need to steward our finances in a manner that reflects that God is our provider. Yeah. That's how we steward our finances. Not that the people in the church provide that, but that God is our provider. And can I encourage us, if you are leading churches and you're not planting right now, begin to sow into other church plants. Because the Bible says God cannot be mocked. What we sow, we will reap. Thirdly, we cannot only plant churches when we have enough leaders to replace those who are planting. I hope every church leader here is consistently and intentionally preparing and raising up leaders to serve within your church. But the challenging question is this, who are we raising leaders for? Are we raising leaders for our own church or are we raising leaders for the king and his kingdom? And so again, my challenge to you is, yes, we need to train up and we need to raise up leaders, but not just for your church. We need to raise them up for the purpose of, of advancing the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like. And then lastly, we do not plant only when, as the leader of the team, we are ready. So can I just for, a, for two minutes just very intentionally focus in on the team leaders of leadership teams. And just say, friends, we must be careful that we not, are not the cork in the bottle that prevents churches being planted. Can I say from experience, we are never ready to plant. And after the first plant we did, I just want to be vulnerable for a moment. The first guy that we ended, the first couple that we ended up planting came to us and they said they have a heart to, to move to Columbus, Ohio. And you know what my response was? I said this out loud. No. That was my first response. No. God has not called you to go to Columbus. He was my closest friend. 
We had dreamed for years of him coming on staff and us doing ministry in the city of Chicago. And I, I have to be honest, my answer was, my response to him was no. And I went before the Lord over a few, few days and God's, God changed my heart. God challenged me to release him. And as I felt the Lord challenged me to release him, I felt him say, you're going to be releasing many. You are never ready. The first one was hard. The second one was just as hard. The third one was just as hard. And so on through the six churches that we planted. And I trust hopefully the more that we will plant into the future. There is a cost that comes. There is a relational cost that comes to church planting. Of the six churches that we have planted, three have been our closest, closest friends. We left America, uh, sorry, we left South Africa, we left family behind. God promised that he would give us friends who are family, and that's exactly what he did. But now they're planted elsewhere, in New York, in Columbus, and we don't get to see them that often. There's a relational cost. There's a financial cost. The teams that you send are those that are sowing into your church, but we sow them out. There's a ministry cost. Men and women who carry Gifts that are used in your local church will be sowed out. And friends, there's a possible cost to unity. And I say this because there is always, whenever churches are planted, there's always the possibility of disappointment. And the, 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 the possibility that there's going to be some relational issue. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, God prevents that. But there's a prize that outweighs them all. That outweighs the cost. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me and for each of you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The crown of righteousness, the well done, good and faithful servant. Is the, is the prize that outweighs all the costs. But we must acknowledge there's a cost. All right, moving on. We're nearly finished. How do we create a culture of church planting? Oh, we have the slides. That's awesome. How do we create a culture of church planting? Can we put the next slide up? So I, I said I'm a, I'm a science geek. Now, if I, if I had lost some of you with the title church planting, I hope that those, I haven't lost you now with this mathematical equation, but uh, I will we'll explain it. Don't worry. Um, I, I just, this is the way I think, and I, I kind of put this together as, as to how do we create a culture of church planting? How do we create a, 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 a men, women, and children empowered by the Holy Spirit to live with this sense of sentness? R multiplied by SX to the power of A equals M. Let me... Let me explain. Let me explain. R, God birthed revelation. God birthed revelation. I said this earlier, that we, we don't go in response to a vision. We go in response to a revelation of Jesus, to a revelation not only of who Jesus is, but what he's doing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 tells us what God is doing. He's paraphrased. God is bringing everything under the rulership of Jesus. That's what God is doing generally, but also what is God doing specifically in your region? Uh, um, Eugene Peterson makes this wonderful, uses this wonderful analogy in, in one of his books where he talks about sometimes we arrive on the scene, whether it's in a person's life or whether it's in a neighborhood, and we think, great, God, I'm here. Now you can begin your work. <laughs> when in fact, we, God's already been working before we've arrived. And just like if you were late to a business meeting, you would sit there and quietly listen to pick up what's going on in the meeting. And that needs to be our response when we meet someone for the first time or when we maybe move into a new, a new neighborhood. We wait and we listen and we find out what God's already doing, the revelation of what God's already doing so that we can get on his program. S, so that's R. S is the degree of sentness lived out in everyday life. This is this idea that we are, uh, just as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us. And I might kind of unpack this a little more in the second session. This, this degree, this idea that 
that as God sent Jesus into a specific time and place in history, and he sent Jesus to live as a single man in a culture, the Roman culture, which was dismissing the purposes of God, and the Jewish culture, which was distorting the purposes of God. Does that sound like where you live? But God nonetheless has sent us. And, and it's this understanding that every follower of Jesus is sent, which brings me to what X stands for. X is the number of sentness activated followers. The number of folks within our church that have this call of I'm sent every day when I go to my place of work or my school or, or I take my children on, 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 the, on kids' runs to drop them off at school. I'm being sent by the Father on what might seem like mundane, everyday business. But God is sending me. God's hand is upon me. There is kingdom purpose in going to the grocery store to buy my groceries for the day. And friends, just to say, it's not the size of the church that's important. It's, the, it's the, the, whether all of us have caught the heart of this. If you read the, the New Testament, you, it's amazing to see how many times the New Testament writers use the word all. And in our culture, in, what I've done is sometimes reduce that to some. I'll give you an example. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone, not some, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, not some, fully mature in Christ. Now, to some degree, the revelation and this kind of idea of, of sentness and the number of, of sentness activated followers is somewhat dependent on us, which is why A is so important, to the power of the anointing of God. The anointing of God takes three fish and five loaves, or five fish and three loaves, I never get it right, and multiplies that exponentially and so as we as we are faithful with 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 prayer and, and trusting for a revelation of god and as as we are faithful in 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 realizing and growing in our understanding of being sent and as as we trust to disciple others in the church so that they could catch this heart of sentness but as we come under the anointing of god we develop m this multi-generational translocal movement of god's people where, where people from, from all ages in our church, and as we partner with churches that have a common heart, like the ones in this church, as we link arms together, we are sent out as this translocal, anointed, gifted movement of God's people who are solely focused on seeing Jesus exalted as Savior and established as King, and His kingdom forcefully advancing. I wrote this down. When we live like this, churches are planted, churches are a, church plants are a natural byproduct of kingdom living. Churches, church plants are a natural fruit of kingdom minded, Jesus exalted, gospel preaching, spirit honoring churches. I would argue, therefore, that we do not establish a church planting culture only by raising up church planters, but rather raising up equipped trained, mobilized, empowered priesthood to do the work of advancing God's kingdom. All right. We're nearly done. What do we do now? What do we do now? So I'm going to address three groups of people. For uh, those who are, who are not in leadership, those who are eager to plant, and then those who are in, le in leadership. Three aspects. So Try and kind of figure out those who are not in leadership, which I'm assuming is going to be the major perhaps the majority of you. I'm then going to talk about those who are stirred to plant, maybe some of you. And then lastly, for those who lead leadership teams. A couple of points for those who are not in leadership. If you're stirred by this message, I want to encourage you, go and talk to your leaders and ask them what they are doing to develop a culture of church planting and get on board with what they're doing. Found out, secondly, where churches are being planted within our togetherness of, of churches. Find out where churches are being planted in this nation or into the nations of the world. And see if you can pray for them and possibly visit them. Thirdly, I would say discover and grow in your understanding of what it means 
to live out being sent in your context? What does it mean for you as you raise your children, as you go to work, as you study at school? What does it mean for you to live out this with this idea of sentness? And then lastly, use your home and your resources to serve and support the vision of your local church. Get behind what God is doing in your local church. Just a quick comment about what Rob shared about uh, coming out of lockdown. One of, the, one of the, the, the strategies of Jesus was to use the synagogue and the home as a place for ministry. And uh, out of one, of the, one of the side effects of lockdown is we've, we've used the home to kind of hunker down in. You know, this is, this is my retreat. The world, the big bad world is out there. This is my retreat. Friends, a challenge for us all. We need to use our home as a place in which we engage kingdom ministry. That's right. Secondly, for those who are eager or stirred to plant, a couple of practical points for you. Firstly, pray without ceasing. Secondly, communicate early and often to your leaders that you have a desire or a passion to plant. Thirdly, ask to come alongside a leader within your local church to, to pray and to, and to dream together. Be an armor bearer to Jonathan, as it were. Fourthly, serve and learn and support your leaders like you would want to be supported in when you lead. Can I say that again? Because I didn't get many amens on that one. Serve and lean into your leaders like you would want people to lean into you and to serve the vision that God has given you when you plant. And then very importantly, stay patient and humble. Stay patient and humble. Your timing will not likely not be God's timing. And then lastly, for leaders of teams, I'm going to give you some questions rather than things to do. For leaders of teams, has your church defined at least its next steps to becoming a church planting church. Have you got some, at least some plan or pattern in place, at least the next step as what it looks like to become a church planting church to the church leader. Hey, are, are you, are you mentoring? Are you discipling someone perhaps who has a passion for church planting? Thirdly, does your church budget reflect your commitment to church planting? Are you, are you sowing? Are you, are you sowing into, if not a church plant in your church, a church plant within our togetherness, supporting them? Next, are you praying for church plants in your city and nation within your prayer meetings and services? There's nothing that reflects commitment and ownership of church plants than praying for them. And then lastly, this one challenges me as much as I hopefully it'll challenge you. Have you become too focused on local success at the expense of being kingdom minded? And I'm challenged about that all the time. Have you become too focused on local success at the expense of being kingdom minded? So I've answered, why do we plant when do we not plant? How do we plant? And what do we do to, to plant churches? But can I just end with this? And this is important. Church planting is not about more churches. It's about more Jesus. Church planting is not about more churches. It's about more Jesus. We're wanting to see more of Jesus in our cities, in our nation, in our regions, and into the nations of the world. I'd love for us to stand if we can and I'm just going to pray real quick. I don't want a single, well, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pray. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to pray along the lines of Isaiah 6. Not the variation that I quoted at the beginning. Here I am, Lord, send the person next to me. But I, I hope in some respect, every one of us has discovered or, or at least got an inkling of what, what it might possibly mean to help develop a culture of church planting in your local church. You might not be called to go, but there's an opportunity here for each of us to understand that at least we are called to be sent yeah. and to go and to, 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 to help develop this, 
this idea of we are sent just as the Father sent Jesus. Jesus sends us every day with the full backing and resources of heaven. Friends, don't forget that. Jesus was Jesus veiled his his deity and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and his relationship with his, his father to do everything that he did when he ministered here on earth. And just as the father sent him, Jesus says, I am sending you. And so, Father, we 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 come as a, your people. Different backgrounds, different contexts different experiences, different parts of the country, and for a few of us, different parts of the world. And we thank you, Lord God, that, that, that you have called us, yes, to our villages and towns and cities. But beyond that too, Lord God, you've called us to take the nations for you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we say, here I am. Would you send me? Lord, I know some are, are quaking in their boots when they say that. But as we've learned this week, uh, uh, that courage is not the absence of fear. It's stepping out in faith despite the fear. Thank you, Lord, that you will never uh, call us to something or, uh, or send us out without you going with us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you anoint, would you equip, would you empower? I, I want to pray for those who, who have a passion for planting, those who, who in, at some point in the, in the, in the future, Feel your, your hand on them. Perhaps even now, it might just be a glimmer of, a, of an idea, of a possibility that maybe you would use them to, to lead a church plant. For others, it's this passion burning deep within them. Heavenly Father, I pray that not so much what I said, but your work in them would just breathe that, that fire into flame. That would stoke that fire, Lord God. Holy Spirit, would you breathe on those hearts? Breathe on those hearts. Open their eyes to the vision, to the revelation, rather, Lord, of yourself and of what you have called them to do. Lord, we, we are just so thankful that you have already stirred in our hearts this, this call to go. Through the worship, Lord, you were, you were speaking already. May we be a people who position ourselves as Andrew encouraged us. Father, may we not just hear this word and do nothing about it. But Lord, let us be like those who build our lives on solid ground. Because we hear and we respond to what you are saying. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.